Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to talk about the mind of the teacher. We're here with probably one of the best people in the world to talk about this. She is the author of The Teaching Brain, an evolutionary trait at the heart of education, Vanessa Rodriguez, and we're proud to call her our own. She's an advanced doctoral student at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Vanessa, welcome to the EdCast. Thank you, Matt. It is great to be talking to you again. So, Vanessa, for those of us who don't know the differences between uh, a teaching brain and just a regular person brain. <laughs> what's what's the sort of what's behind this notion of a teaching brain and what have we missed in not knowing that there is in fact a teaching brain? Right. Well, so it's a it's a bit of a misnomer in that obviously we only have one brain. Um, but I wanted to kind of single out the teaching brain because so often when we talk about education, we only talk about learning. And we say, basically, this is what we know about learning, and therefore, this is how you should teach. But I started to become fascinated with um, the idea that I saw my nephews teaching all the time, and they were two years old and three years old. And so what are they doing? What's the difference between what they do and kind of when we're in that stage of learning, which, you know, is happening all the time? So it's not that it's necessarily separate, But what makes teaching different from learning is that teaching must be social, right? It can't happen individually. So when people study the brain and we're saying this is the learning brain, you can study the individual. But when you say we're looking at the teaching brain, now you're studying a person interacting with someone else with the purpose of advancing their learning. What's really interesting about your book is it, it dives into the sort of evolutionary and the developmental components mm-hmm. of the brain. And you mentioned your your uh, is it your nephew? Yes, nephews. Nephews. I have like four. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, just teaching evolves, yes. and the way in which we process teaching evolves. Say a little mm-hmm. bit more about that. So, um, so one of my mentors and great friend uh, is Kurt Fisher, and so Kurt, you know, developed uh, this theory of learning um, to really highlight how it's a developmental skill from birth through adulthood and how that's unbelievably complex and affected by everything around you. And when we look at teaching, we don't look at it that way. Instead, we say, here's what you should do. It's almost like we're a machine. Like, what do you do? Oh, I do teaching. But in actuality, it's a developmental skill. And it is something that in the book I talk specifically about as a survival skill. Because as a you know race, we cannot do it alone. We can't do it individually. And the whole reason that cultures and societies develop is because we teach one another, right? And we need to do that in order to survive. Um, we're not the strongest or the biggest or the fastest, but collectively we can be because we join our brains together and that happens through teaching. So why aren't we saying, well, what is that development? And not only how have, why is that a skill that we've held on to, you know, since, since our existence, um, but what does it look like from birth through adulthood? Your book details five distinct areas of awareness and then also provides a survey for people like yeah. even our <laughs> listeners to appraise their own teaching brain. So we want people to still buy the book, mm-hmm. but give us a little taste about some of those uh, those areas and then what's in this survey. So what's interesting about considering teaching in this way is it's a, it's a totally different way of defining teaching, right? It's saying we're not going to look at good versus bad teaching 
because that's kind of as ridiculous as looking at good versus bad learning. Um, instead, we're going to say, this is human development. Um, so let's create a scale and look at that scale and say, how do we develop this skill over time? Um, if we were to imagine it as a scale, the way we have learning, then at that peak would be the expert teacher in the classroom who has chosen it as a profession and is really aware of what they're doing. And so one of the studies I've done was, was basically uh, looking at expert teachers in New York and in Massachusetts um, and going through a, a micro-developmental interview to say, okay, across the board, what do we see emerging from their process? Um, and I specifically say process because we weren't talking about what are they just doing or what's kind of the information that they're picking up around them. We were saying what's going on in their mind. How are they processing this? And we found these five awarenesses. Um, and one is pretty, you know, pretty common, an awareness of the learner. Right? And then, of course, an awareness of your teaching practice, things like continent skills. And we have a ton of research on those two areas. Others that emerged were less common. An awareness of uh, teaching as an interaction. And that was super interesting because these expert teachers would talk about teaching as interaction rather than uh, what a lot of people do is talk about it as an action. Right, like I do this. Um, and these teachers would say that there are different types of interactions. And so one could be collaboration, we're doing it together or we're co-constructing. Um, one of my favorites was uh, kind of this idea of reciprocity. Like I'm gonna wait to see if the student reacts and, and changes in the way that I, I'm expecting them to. And if not, I'm not gonna give them anything because you know it's a, it's a deal that we have a silent contract. Um, another was an awareness of context and that's really interesting because these were teachers that understood you know the school that I teach in matters the philosophy matters the state mandates matter but what an awareness is is not saying that I'm necessarily going to change because of that it's saying I know it exists I know it affects me I know it affects my kids and I'm gonna make a decision about how that's going to shift what we do um, and then the last that I think is the least explored, and of course what I'm most fascinated by, is the awareness of the self as a teacher. And it kind of goes directly against a student-centered model, which I know is like a, how could you say, you know, not to put students at the center? But if you acknowledge that teaching is an interaction with a learner, then no one's at the center. Right? Someone being at the center means you're still following that really antiquated model of an empty vessel. Right? I deliver something to you, and you're at the center as a student. And so a student-centered model is still ego-driven by the teacher. Um, it may seem selfless, but it's not. Um, an awareness of self as a teacher means you're saying, I know I exist. I'm not going to hide that. When I enter the classroom, I'm going to acknowledge that the lens I am looking through is my own, and that's going to affect how I create a theory of my learner. Huh. Vanessa, I, I think your book is a very friendly presentation of neuroscience and education. And I think that's sometimes hard to interpret. Neuroscience has the, oh, it's science, it's hard, it's whatever, and then education has all the baggage that comes with that. And this book sort of bridges the gap. Was that, were you deliberate in making sure that that was, that was very clear <laughs> in the book? 
That was the hope. I mean, I, uh, I'm a teacher at heart, so I you know, was a teacher in, in New York City public schools for over a decade before I came to Harvard. Um, and I didn't originally come to do neuroscience. I came, came to do ed policy. And it was just you know, kind of one of those happy mistakes that I, I stumbled into the area. And it just made a lot of sense. And, and all of these, you know, I came here to discover more about what I was doing as a teacher. You know, after a decade, it's still, there was still something missing. And in my time here, I realized we actually don't know what teaching is. Like literally the definition of teaching, we don't know what it is. Like, and then I just thought, how is that possible? Like, so when we're saying we're measuring and evaluating and designing preparation programs, what are we designing it based on? And in all honesty, we're designing it based on learning. We're designing it based on theories of learning. And, and you can see it in everything. It's, you know, you can look at Skinner's theory of learning or Piaget's theory of learning. And what we basically do is say, okay, since this is what learning is, this is what teachers should do. Um, and that doesn't make sense when we think about what we know about the brain. Right? So what we know about the brain is that it's dynamic. Right, our, our brain is a dynamic system. If we were to map out all of those neural networks, they're forever changing. It looks like an insane highway or you know, stars in the sky being connected. And yet we talk about teaching and it's so matter of fact, this is what you should do. Um, but it's more complicated than learning because now we don't just have one brain involved. We have two or three or 40 you know, and it's that connection and understanding it that I'm fascinated by. And the neuroscience side of what I do is about saying, well, now when we study teaching, we need to study brains interacting with one another in real time. If you're as fascinated as I am by Vanessa's work, certainly the book, The Teaching Brain and Evolutionary Trait at the Heart of Education is available at the New Press website. It's also available on Amazon. And Vanessa, you also have a website and you are making an appearance in Boston coming up. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I will be at the Boston Book Festival on Saturday, October 24th. Uh, the session is from 11.15 to 12.15. Um, and it will be at the, let's see, the... Trinity Forum. Um, and I'm also presenting with Lonnie Gunier and Michael Horn. So I'm pretty excited about that. Heavy hitters on that panel. <laughs> Present company included. Vanessa, thank you very much for being on the EdCast. And thanks for being such a fantastic example of a great HGSE student. Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening.